Well, good morning, New Life Church. How is everybody? Glad to be together in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, cool outside, but it feels good up in here, right? Up in here, up in here, it feels good. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind. Um, I'm just kidding, it's all good. Who's ready for Thanksgiving? Most? All right, good. Well, we pray, uh, pray safe travels on everybody if you're traveling and um, enjoyment of the company of those around you. Well, listen, let's get into the Word today. Open up your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to go back uh, to this story, and the plan is to, uh, to wrap that up um, today. And uh, it's been a long time. I think I started this like the beginning of October, and obviously not trying to hurry through it, um, but uh, allow uh, some time for each, uh, each week. Uh, to uh, get into the Word and, begin and understand a lot about what this is all about. Nehemiah chapter 6, let's look at verse 15 and 16 this morning. It'll be on the screen as well. Nehemiah writes this, he says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. There's one thing, there's three things that those, three, those two verses tell us. That when God is at work in our life, one, He finishes what He starts. God always finishes His work in our lives. Always. So when He starts something... He sees it through. Number two, it tells us that when God is at work in our lives, the enemy is terrified, but God is glorified. So if we want God to be glorified in our life, and we want the enemy to be terrified, then we need to allow God to work in our life. And the third thing it says that shows us when God is at work in our lives, you know it. And so do other people. It's evident. It's evident. I just returned um, from Phoenix. I was uh, privileged to be able to be a part of a prophetic conference out at one of our outside elders church, Pastors Rick and Susan Bennett in Phoenix, for about four or five days. Uh, it was refreshing, but it was also exhausting because it was long days, uh, a lot of ministry time, but at the same time very replenishing uh, as well. And uh, to be able to have my own heart and soul uh, nourished and be around uh, fellow leaders and pastors to uh, just encourage each other, love on each other, uh, and just to show support for one another. I, I had, uh, had the opportunity to travel with um, my cousin Justin. Justin, if you don't mind, come here for a second, buddy. Uh, Justin traveled with me on this trip, and uh, and... God used both of us, but uh, just like Justin, to take a minute and just kind of give his synopsis of, of the week of being in, in that conference. Well, good morning. Um, well, like Jeremy said, it was a great time of refreshing and a time to spend with um, some good um, brothers in Christ. Um, I'm trying to think of something in particular that stood out in my mind. I got a, a two and a half second notice about coming up here this morning, so <laughs> bear with me, but... Um, I watched one of the things I noticed that really struck out to me out there was the the amount uh, and the need for for men in the body of Christ to stand up and take their role in leadership. Mm. And one of the things that we we kept talking about, one of the things we kept seeing was that overwhelmingly, I would say more than eighty percent of the people that were there participating were um, women from the Apache Indian Reservation, women from the Navajo Indian Reservation, and it just really grieved me and, and caused me to think about where I might be falling short, you know, back home, you know, in leadership roles and where other men um, of God in the body of Christ aren't standing up and taking their place. But um, it, was a, it was a great week. A lot of prophetic words went forth. I got to see a lot of people really touched by God and saw a lot of young people, a lot of, I mean, as young as nine years old that really had a heart for God, that walk in a maturity far beyond their years, that were open to, to ministering God's word and praying for people and giving a prophetic word to, to adults and just that just blew my mind 
you know, to see the hunger of these little children come up and, and be so open to God. It was really, really touching. It was something that I'll, I'll never forget. Mm, yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you traveling with me, Justin, and being uh, a comrade and um, just opening up your life and heart to, to what God has. There's more to come uh, as you and I talk. There's more to come about what God wants to do with you. Let's, let's thank God for Justin today. Thank you, my friend. You know, a sign that God is at working in our hearts and our lives is, man, he will finish what he started. And a lot of you have some spoken promises and dreams and visions and thoughts that God has dropped inside of you that over the years, perhaps they've kind of gotten distant from your memory, distant from your heart and wondering, can God use me? What about my past? What about all the mistakes I've made? What, what about the shortcomings that I've got going on? And Friend, I want to let you know today that when God starts something, He will complete it. He will see it through. Uh, and if we just have a willingness and a yielded heart, He will, he will do just that. And he will, he will cause the enemy in your life, the devil, to be terrified. He'll cause things like that to, 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 uh, to, to run from you when you stand up and, and take your place in the kingdom of God. And some of you might lack courage, might lack encouragement, might just lack... Uh, and an ability to clearly understand what is it that the Lord is wanting to do with my life. And God just says, if you'll just give me your heart, if you'll just make yourself available to me, I'll take care of the rest for you. I'll take care of the rest for you. I'll be glorified in you. You know, God God is most glorified when, when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in our life when we are most satisfied in Him. And at this day and time in our life when everything's a rat race and there's unsurety in our world, uncertainty even in our nation about a lot of things. God's look, looking to us to look to Him. Will we be satisfied in Him? Will we allow ourselves to truly be satisfied in Him? And when we do that, He gets glorified in our life, meaning He becomes big. He already is big, but when we put Him in that place, that means we make Him big in us, bigger than issues, bigger than problems, bigger than setbacks bigger than whatever else you and I might face. And a surefire way of knowing God's working in our life is we know it. We know it and people know it. People see it. People will see that God is working in you and me. And aren't you glad God's not finished with you yet? Aren't you glad he's still, there's still some daylight left? Though I know we don't know how much daylight left, but as long as there is breath in our lungs and we're alive on the earth, God is working. There's an, there's an opportunity for God to change your life, an opportunity for God to change your situation. And so that's exactly what Nehemiah was looking at. In 52 days, they finished the wall. They finished all the gates. Can you toss the picture of, of that up on the, on the screen for us today? We started several weeks ago at the top right-hand corner at the Sheep Gate. All this whole thing is, this picture is a snapshot of God working in his people's life. Each gate has a meaning, has a purpose. We started with the sheep gate, seeing God working as, as Savior, seeing Him work as, as, as being salvation in our life. And you go on around, you see God working through the fish gate. All that means is God will use your life to tell His story so that He can bring glory through you and help reach other people. Your story is to be shared for God's glory. And God using your life through what's called the old gate, that's you being staying true, staying, staying committed to the old tried and true ways of the kingdom of God. That, that, it may, that this world, the world system and the world's waves may be craving and may be tempting, but God's ways are always going to be around. They're never going to leave. They're never going to leave. And you see God using your life, working in your life through valleys. Through valleys. We've all been through some valleys, and we'll go through some more valleys as people on this planet. But the thing about valleys is it shows us and reminds us that God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. And he longs and wants to see us walk through the valleys and not allow those valleys to walk through us. And you go on around, you see God working in your life through the dung gate. Such a nasty word. But we all have dung in our life. We all have stuff that's toxic. We all have things about ourselves that is displeasing to the Lord, that does not shine the light of Christ or the life of Jesus. Things we say, things we think, actions we have, attitudes towards certain people, whatever it might be. 
And God says, look, I want to work through you so I can work in you. And I can work things out of your life for my good and for your good. And you see God working in your life through the fountain gate. The power of the Holy Spirit flowing freely in our life. Giving us grace. Giving us guidance. Giving us leadership. Giving us truth. Giving us power to be the witnesses of the Lord on this planet. And you see God working in your life through the water gate. What's the water gate? It's God's word. It's God's word. The Bible says the God's word says that things will pass, we'll pass. The grass will wither and fade. The flowers will wither and fade. But God's word will remain forever. God's word is living. It's active and it's powerful. God's word has the ability to lead and guide our life, to shape us, to transform us. And you see God working in our life. We talked about this recently about through the horse gate. That's, that just simply means that, hey, friend, brother, sister in Christ, comrade in the Lord, that we're going to go through some battles going to face spiritual battles but if we apply God's word in our life and walk it out by faith we'll win we'll overcome and we'll not be taken down and then today we're going to wrap up with these final two gates the east gate and the inspection gate let's pray father we give you honor and glory thank you for your word thank you for what you have to say to us today I pray that you would speak clearly through me today. Let our ears hear your word, your truth. Let our hearts feel. Feel your heartbeat. Feel your compassion for us. Feel your care and concern for us. Lord, wherever we've got some hardness, just chisel it off. God, wherever wherever we have some confusion about life some cl- and not having clarity about certain things today just shape it up for us focus us in to help us truly hear what it is you have to say pray you bless this time now in jesus name amen amen well wrapping up this whole scenario of the gates found in nehemiah chapter three but the final two gates the east gate and the inspection gate, the east gate. The east gate is, speaks to us about the return of Jesus Christ. It was the east gate, you see there, uh, it's on the eastern side of, of the city. And if you, if you were to pan out and there was more picture to show, you look to the far, far right and you would see the Mount of Olives. It was at the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed, where he's betrayed, and where he was arrested before he taken on his crucifixion. It was there, that was the last place. He was with all of his disciples, was there at the Mount of Olives. And I'm going to run through some scriptures quickly. They're going to be on the screen um, because you can't possibly turn to them all very quickly. Uh, But I I want to build a point and just follow along and check these verses out. Prophecies in the Old Testament, confirmation in the New Testament. Ezekiel 44, look at this if you're writing notes. Ezekiel 44 verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the man brought me back to the east gateway, in the outer wall of the temple area, but it was closed. And the Lord said to me, this gate must remain closed. It will never again be open. No one will ever open it and pass through it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered here. Therefore, it must always remain shut. Only the prince himself may sit inside this gateway to feast in the Lord's presence, but he may come and go only through the entry of the gateway. Let's flip over. Let me flip over to Zechariah, another prophetic word. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4 says, on that day, the day of the Lord's return, the day of the Lord's return, it says, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. You catch that? His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half towards the south. Flip on over, let's look in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1, after the uh, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, and him spending about 40 days with his disciples. Acts 1, verse 9. It says, After this, he was taken up, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him, his disciples. And it says, As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from 
the Mount of Olives. You see where all this is hanging around? From the Mount of Olives, a distance of about a half mile. Let's look on over into Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 7 says, This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Look. He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. And even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and amen. Back to Matthew Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus says, For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Verse 30. And then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 36. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even, even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. And then verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians, verse 4. Oh, that's a lot of scripture. Just building a point. 1 Thessalonians, verse, chapter 4, verse 14. It says, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And we tell you this directly from the Lord. This is most often read at funerals. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, we will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. That's a, that'd be a sight to see. Well, you will see it. It'd be a cool movie to make. Then, together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, we will be with the Lord forever. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all right get to heaven verse 18 so encourage each other with these words what does all that all that tell us probably forgot half the stuff you saw up there on the screen now i need to give you more credit than that what does it tell us tells us this that with 100% certainty certainty jesus is coming back it was spoken of in the foreshadow of the Old Testament scriptures and prophets. It was even spoken of by Jesus himself and, the, uh, and testified to of the other apostles that Jesus left, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, spent 40 days with his disciples, ascended into heaven, but there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return. No one knows the day, no one knows the hour. So if you read anything, see anything that says somebody says Jesus is here or he's come back or tomorrow's the day, next year's the time, nobody knows, they're just full of it, okay? A lot of people have a lot of inclination, a lot of thought towards it, but nobody really knows the day or the hour because scripture tells us only God the Father knows, okay? So the... So that goes on to tell us, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Because when Jesus comes back, Revelation tells us, John says, everybody's going to know it. Jesus testified to it in Matthew 24. When I come back, the whole, you'll see me coming in the clouds from the east. And I'll come and stand on the Mount of Olives. 
And so that east gate, that picture there, can you put the picture back up? That east gate, literally, that gate faces the Mount of Olives. It faces east. And so when, G when Jesus comes back, trust me, if you're alive, you will know it. If you're dead and you're in Christ, you're going to know it because he's going to come back for you first. He's going to open your grave and you're going to rise up and meet him in the clouds. And those of us who remain, who are alive and in Christ, we're going to join the rest of them in the, in the clouds. Now I know that to our natural mind, that's wild, that's wacky, and that's crazy. But man, what a ride that will be. What a rush that will be when Jesus comes back. He will come back. All that tells us is this right here. Big, big time, big sign, big sign, big sign. 100% guarantee that Jesus will come back. What does that tell us? Just like he told his disciples, I'm going to leave for a while, but I'm going to come back. But while I'm gone, you're going to face tribulation. You're going to face persecution. You're going to have problems in this world. But take courage. I have overcome this world. I have overcome this world. So it behooves us to put our faith in the fact of Jesus Christ. And if our faith is in Jesus Christ, friends, then you and I have hope. You and I have something to look forward to. Just like all those who have already gone on ahead, they're already there, already shouting. They're part of the Hebrews chapter 12 crowd. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who are cheering the rest of us on who are still down here on earth saying you can do it you can do it you can do it you can be faithful you can be faithful which leads me to the point how are we then are to live our life what are we supposed to do in the meantime just twiddle our thumbs we're supposed to just kind of hang out supposed to just sit back, not participate in anything, not do anything. What are we supposed to do with our life? What are we supposed to do in the meantime? Continue to be overcome by travesty, continue to be overcome by grief, continue to be running the ground by sin, continue to be overloaded with burdens and problems, continue to allow the cares of this world to suck the life out of us? What? What are we supposed to do with our life? Paul gives us the, the answer. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering. The time of my death is near. He said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now, the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly, what, look forward to what? His appearing. So Paul tells us a few things. Basically to sum it up, he says live hopeful. Live ready. Live expectant. And what's the guarantee? If you fight the good fight, if you finish your race, and if you keep your faith, what's the prize? What's the, what's the big goal there? The crown of righteousness. One of many crowns of what a crown to obtain, what a crown to get. And who gives it to you? Who puts it on you? Jesus. Can you picture yourself kneeling, kneeling in front of Christ? And you know you gave all you had. You know you lived your days as best as you could, as fervent for the Lord as you could. You stood the test of time. You didn't give in. You didn't wane. You didn't weave. You didn't go back and forth. You stood the test. You've passed. You made it. You fought the good fight. You finished your race. You kept your faith. And there, the Lord Himself, the Lord Himself, will crown you 
with a crown of righteousness. All the times you failed, all the times you fell down, but yet you didn't let that keep you. You didn't let that stop you. You didn't let that trap you. You didn't let that hold you. You kept before you the face of Christ. You kept before you the heavens. You kept before you the Lord himself. And through it all, through it all, you came back. Through it all, you got up. Through it all, he dusted you off. Through it all, he forgave you. Through it all, he strengthened you. Through it all, his hand was extended to you. Through it all, you said, yes, Lord, one more time. Yes, Lord, one more time. Yes, Lord, one more time. When you fell to your knees and you felt like giving up and you felt like you screwed your life up and you felt like there's no way I can do it. There's no way I can make it. All this is too much for me and I keep giving in and I keep falling short, but you get back up one more time. The word says, for though a righteous person falls seven times, he shall rise again. What hope does that give you and I? It means this, that we get up more than we fall down. Friend, nobody's keeping track of how many times you fall down. But you do need to keep track of how many times you get back up. So long as you get back up. And the Lord himself mm, will place that crown on your head. And you won't be crying in the sense of shame or regret because you know you're standing before the righteous judge and you know all the mess you made. You won't be crying over, over that anymore because if you make it, he crowns you, and he wants you to make it. He wants you to finish your race here on this planet. He wants you to keep your faith. He wants you to keep fighting the good fight because he's got something in store. So Paul says, live hopeful, live ready, live expectant. I heard someone once tell me this. Live like Jesus is coming back today, but prepare for another thousand years. Live like Jesus is coming back today, but prepare for another thousand years. Think about that. If we could really all live, if all believers, all Christians could really live like that, think about how different life would be. We would argue less. We would forgive more. We would sin less. We would love more. wouldn't be bitter, we wouldn't get our feelings hurt so easily, we wouldn't get uptight near as much, we wouldn't hold back from truly going after everything God has for us, we'd really live for it, if we really lived like that, if we live like Jesus is coming back today. Just think about it. If we live like he's coming back today, he's not going to catch us napping. I mean, you might have your Sunday nap. That's, that's a given. That, I mean, he knows that's just a given. You can't help but get tired on Sunday afternoon. It just happens. But you get what I'm saying. He won't catch us not living for him if we lived like he was coming back today. The inspection gate. The inspection gate is the last gate right before you turn the corner and come back around to the sheep gate. The inspection gate was known as a traditional gate where kings would meet their troops and inspect them to make sure they were ready for battle. They were dressed, they were prepared, they would inspect their troops. And so this inspection gate then speaks to you and I today as 
the examination of our life before the Lord. The examination of our lives before the Lord. And again, to just build a point here, these verses will be on the screen. It won't be near as many as the first one. But um, it's 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 through 5. Paul says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. Dang, Paul, what? So I don't care what people think of me, but shoot. I also don't trust my own self. That's my version. He says, my conscience is clear, but it sure doesn't prove that I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So, don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time. Before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light. And he will reveal our private motives. What? Mm. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Let's... The next thing, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Paul says, for we must all, A-double-L, all, we must all stand before Christ to be given a lollipop, given a golden star, given a trophy. No, we will stand before Christ to be judged. For we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Matthew 25, verse 31. says, but when the Son of Man comes, Jesus in his glory, all the angels with him, it says, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right, goats at his left, And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Verse 41. And then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Verse 46. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. What is this tell us, just like the first point, the first point told us this, that Jesus Christ will return again and he will rule and reign on the earth. The second thing this tells us about the inspection gate is this, is that Jesus will judge all of us one day. We're all going to get judged and it will be perfect. There will not be bias involved. There will not be any injustice involved. The scales will not be tipped towards one side or the other. It will be a perfect judgment because Jesus Christ is the perfect judge. He will weigh everything out. He'll look at all of our life. He'll look at all of it from start to finish. He'll look at everything. And he will be the only one who can have integrity and character of the utmost of the utmost of the utmost. And he will judge us accordingly. We are told not to. He, we are told he will. So what do we do with our life in between now and that time? That's a lot to live up to, right? Psalm 139, I think, paints a beautiful picture and gives a lot of good insight. This is is King David. I chose the message version for this last part. It's Psalm 139 looking at verse 1 through 6, and then I think it's 23 and 24. David prays this prayer. He says, God, investigate my life. First of all, that's kind of bold. One, you know, we we think we know, okay, God knows all things, right? He knows all that. But, But then to actually say it for your own self, God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. He says, I'm an open book to you, even from a distance. You know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. Wow. I look behind me. You're there. Up ahead, you're there too. 
your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Verse 23, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. And then guide me on the road to eternal life. Guide me on the road to eternal life. God obviously already knows everything about us, but when we pray a prayer like this, it opens us up to be self-aware of what is inside of us. The inspection gate, God working in our life, will mean that his people will live a self-inspected life. That we will pray prayers like this. And we won't be afraid to pray prayers like this. We won't be afraid of the chastisement or the correction or the discipline that comes from the Lord. Because we know the Bible teaches us the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. But we pray those kind of prayers because we know one day we're going to face the judgment seat of Christ. And so while we still have breath and while we still have life, while we still have time, God, I'm an open book to you. Cross-examine me. Read me from cover to cover, forwards and backwards. See those parts in there that we skim over at times. And God, know everything there is to know about me. And, and when you do, Lord, show me where I've fallen. Show me where I've made my mistakes. Show me where I've come up short. But God, don't leave me there. Lead me onward to the path into eternal life. To summarize David, I think he's telling us this, live humble. We got too many arrogant people in this world as it is, right? Pride comes before fall. Live humble. Live humble. I know the world's adage is if you show real humility, you won't go high. You won't get far. People will walk all over you. But yet, when you let God's principles and word work in your life, the opposite is true. Because sooner or later, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Live transparent. I know that's not a popular thing in today's world, but living transparent. Living transparent with ourselves before God. Living transparent with our spouses and our family. Living transparent, sisters to sisters and brothers to brothers. I love the transparency that I experienced this last week with fellow leaders. To just share their burdens and to share their weaknesses, to share their, their, their concerns. And to be open and to share that brought great security and strength. Not only to, to me and others, but it brought support to that person and to those people. And I think David is also telling us this, live surrendered to Jesus Christ. Live humble, live transparent, and live surrendered. Quit wanting to have your way, David said. If, if we as Christians would just stop wanting to have our way, and we live surrendered, and we let God have his way in our life. That's a battle I think probably we face more than we care to admit. Of just letting God have his way. I read a story about this man who planted a little, little young tree around A.D. 600 in, in a little English village of Selborne. I don't know where that is. I just read it. I didn't look it up. Normally I would. I just didn't care this time. In the English village of Selborne, a little tree planted around A.D. 600. Well, that tree grew and grew and grew and grew. And over time, that tree became a part of life. Kids would play under it. People would gather under it and picnic. Others would gather under it and chit-chat. Old men would sit there and solve the world's problems. 
something I always look forward to doing one of these days. Lord willing. But it became a part of life. Everybody was around it, knew it. And over time, it was huge. It was a massive tree. Provided immense shade and, and support and fun and life to people. But in, in, uh, Janu- on January 25th, 1990, a big storm hit and took the tree down. About 1,400 years. It got a lot of life in that tree. 1,400 years of tree. A tree that's around that long is big. January 25th, 1990, a storm came, took it down. The next day, people were walking around and going back to that spot, and they were kind of, they were just in disbelief, like, whoa, cannot believe this tree is gone. My great-grandparents used to talk about this tree, and greater than that used to talk about this tree and how they would play under it and all this other stuff, use it for their hide-and-seek counting spot, whatever it was. It's gone. I can't believe it's gone. It was there all this time, and now, in one moment, a tree, 1,400 years old, wiped out, gone. You know, life is like that. Here one day, gone the next. Dear brother in our church, young brother in our church, Adrian Davis. A lot of you know him, some of you helped raise him, used to keep him in nursery back in the day. His grandfather, who was 77, passed away a couple of weeks ago, he was a a pastor of over 40 years at a church down in Savannah, Tennessee. The last time I actually got to speak with him was when he was in our, our former building, our former location on Parkway. It was the day of Macon, his, uh, Adrian's little boy's dedication. His grandfather was there. Everybody was there. I preached on a, a heritage of a godly family. thought I did pretty good until his grandfather got up and spoke for five minutes. And I thought, dang, I should just let you preach. It was that good. I thought, man, what was I thinking? I should have deferred to you today. Passed away suddenly. Family was shocked. If you see, if you see Adrian or think of him, talk to him. You can relay his condolences. Many of you, November, I've sent a few sympathy cards out this month to those of you who are celebrating, not the life, but remembering your loved ones who have passed. I was just told this morning of another death of a young person only 54 years old, not a part of our church, but someone in our church, a family member. Like that tree, 1,400 years around, people got used to it. Perhaps took it for granted. And then it was gone. Life is like that. It's here one moment, gone the next. We really don't know how many days you and I have. We like to hang on to the promises of 70, 80, 90 years old. Some even want to go up to 120 on some of it. Hey, have at it. But with the life we do have, it's the scriptures teach tells us to that for us to pray, Lord, teach us the brevity of life. It's not always guaranteed. I know it's 14, 12, 19, 22, 30. We think, man, I'm gonna live forever. And you feel like it. Just sit down next to someone who's gone through a few things. Who's gone through some moments of of testing and living and bold enough and humble enough to pray prayers like David. Lord, search my heart. Show me where I've come up short. I like to believe that the younger we come to the revelation of that kind of lifestyle, the better our life will be, the richer it will be, the fuller it will be, the greater it will be. The younger we can get, 
to understand that life is short. That whatever it is that ails us, whatever it is that gets the best of us, it keeps us distracted from our destiny, keeps us busy, gets us off focus, gets us to continue to come up short time and time again. Allow me to interject the truth that Jesus really is greater than anything you and I ever face. He really is. He really is greater. But we've got to come to a place in our life where we can live like this. I live hopeful. I live ready, Lord. And I live expectant that one day Maybe in my lifetime and maybe not, but I know you're still going to come. You're going to come back for your people. You haven't forgotten us. You're going to split the eastern sky. You're going to ride in, surf in on the clouds of glory, and the whole world will know when you come back. But may I be found faithful in you, whether I'm alive or whether I die, whether may I be found faithful in you. May it be said that I finished my race and that I kept my faith. And Lord... While I'm alive, search me. I don't want to be a mystery to you, to people. Because I'm an earthen vessel who has treasure in it. If you're in Christ, you have treasure in you. So don't remain a mystery to people. Be open to people. Share with people. Love people. For goodness sake, forgive people. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you now. Hopefully with an awareness that you're real, and that you do speak to us today. I know you spoke to hearts today. You've spoken to my own heart today. Even as I spoke, you were speaking to my own heart. Lord, help us to live the way Paul admonished us to live. Hopeful, ready, expectant. We would not let the things of this world gauge how we live our life. Lord, help us to no longer let that happen. And God, help us to no longer allow the temptations of our flesh to determine how we live our life. May we be greater than those things. And Father, may we no longer allow It, the enemy, Satan, the devil himself, pull us away from the purpose and plan that you have for our life. No, for you are greater in us than he that is in this world. Today we acknowledge your greatness. Be greater in us, O oh God. And Lord, help us to live like David. To live humble. To live transparent. To live surrendered to you that we acknowledge our need for you, Father. We acknowledge our need for you. And so we look to you today with our heads bowed and our hearts humbled right now. We look to you, God, inwardly. And we ask you, Father, search us. Know us. Lord, help us not go through another holiday and another Christmas and another year with stuff that we hang on to that we just don't need to hang on to. Whatever it is, maybe we have a hard time even forgiving ourselves. Maybe we have a hard time forgiving others. Maybe we just can't help but run our mouth. Maybe we're quick-tempered. 
Maybe we live with rage. Maybe we live with addictions. God, help us to just acknowledge it. In acknowledging it, Lord, we can no longer run from it or deny it. And in acknowledging it, we say, you, God, who are great, who are mighty, who are, who, you are love and you are, you are powerful, come, redeem us, rescue us, free us, forgive us, wash us clean, give us the grace and the strength to rise above the things that get us down. But Lord, we got to first live aware, examining ourselves. Lord, thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. I know, God, sometimes we might feel like it's not happening fast enough. It's not happening quick enough. Help us to just be patient. Help us to wait on you. You will work things out for our good as we focus on loving you and living for your purpose for our lives pray that you would just shower all of us here today with your love, with your mercy, with your grace, with your acceptance, and with your forgiveness. And wherever we need to repent of, whatever we need to repent from, Lord, help us to have the conviction and the courage to do so. And give us the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit to fill our life to be a fountain within us, to fill us with such greatness, such might, such wisdom, such authority, such power, such joy, such peace, such righteousness that nothing of our flesh, of, our, of this world, and of the devil can take a hold of us again. I pray that now in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody who accepts that for their life, just say amen.